Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. We're so excited that you've chosen to be here with us this week as we worship together and learn more about God. For previous messages and past services, go to renaissancedecatur.org and click on the Church at Home tab. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas again. My name is Jeff. I am a lead pastor here at Renaissance, and it's so great to be with you. We are beginning the first week of a three-week series that we've um, put together for Christmas that we're calling Hope is Here. And the whole idea and and the hope, pun intended, uh, that we have for this series is that each week would lay on top of itself and build sort of an expectation or um, a desire, an advent, if you will, season for the celebration that we will all put together with our families as best we can, COVID-19, right? Um, When we celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th on Christmas Day. And and that's my hope today is that we would just build some um, momentum working week to week to week to get to that Christmas place. And to maybe, just for a moment, to pull our mind out of what is normal uh, Christmas behavior. You know, maybe we should, I'm totally off my notes already, here we go. But I'm just thinking for a moment, how great is God for us to just pull us out of what normal would be for us, just shake us up maybe from our lukewarm ideas of what this season really is, and in the midst of this turbulence and disturbance, we might actually discover some truth about Jesus. We might actually discover some truth about God and his relationship with you and with others, and all of this would be helpful to us. And so let's just pause to consider, before we get to this um, birth of a baby in Bethlehem, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks, which is important. I mean, I get that. I think, we, we, um, I think in the church we can overemphasize the birth of Jesus. Um, I think the bigger holiday is Easter, and you can agree to disagree with me, and you can be wrong in that. I'm just saying, right? But the bigger holiday for us is Easter. But, but the birth of Jesus, it actually sort of begins the countdown of that thing. Jesus will grow to be a young man in obscurity for 30 plus years. For three and a half years or so, he'll do ministry and he will eventually climb a hill called Calvary where he will lay down his life on a cross for us. He will be the sacrifice, um, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins on that hill. He will be buried in a grave, and three days later, he'll be raised from that grave. Again, happy Easter all. I'm just telling you, but we can't have that, most would say, if we don't have the Christmas story, too, where Jesus is born. And I, I agree with you. But before we get to the baby being born, I want to I pause to just work in, in, in a biblical truth for us. And the biblical truth is this, is that Jesus existed before he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. Isn't that weird to think about, to say? See, you and I, we don't think that way about our lives. We typically go somewhere like this. When our parents came together and created us, and a few months later, nine months later, we were born into the world, our experience with the world sort of begins at that moment. But the same is not true for Jesus. Jesus has actually existed long before he was born. The theological concept is called uh, incarnation. This is a, a, a... doctrine that that believers have that Jesus Christ existed before, but he incarnated himself or he put flesh on, that he became a human to dwell with us. 
But before that, he was doing many other things before. And I think the most clear passage that we can see of Jesus existing before being born um, in a a manger, right, in Bethlehem, is in John's biography of Jesus. So John chapter 1, verse 1, says this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. And all things, verse 3 says, were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, it's interesting if you caught it, the word, word, was actually capitalized, and that's intentional. John is actually telling us something about this person, the word, and it's capitalized because it's a title or it's a name of someone. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, who is this someone, the word that John is talking about? Who is this person that made all things? Who was this person that was in the beginning, that was with God, that is God? Who was this person? If we skip down to verse 14 of the same chapter, John tells us, and it says, verse 14, and the word, capital W word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Who do you think that is? Just shout it out to me. Yes, the answer is always Jesus, just so you know. (laughs) You can just shout Jesus and it'll fit most times. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, see, that's what John is driving towards, that Jesus was the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the one who was in the beginning, right? And And Jesus is the one who all things were made through. Now, it's interesting in this biography about Jesus, this is the Christmas story for John. There is no shepherds. Right? If you want to know the story, the traditional story of Christmas that we might, well, think the nativity scene, right? You've got shepherds and wise men and, uh, and Mary and Joseph and, and all of those things, the manger and all of that. Those things are found in Matthew's gospel. Those things are found in Luke's gospel, but not in John's. John's Christmas story was, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's interesting But before he gets to that part, he starts his whole story of Jesus' life with three words, in the beginning. And that's intentional. I want you to know what John is trying to do here. He is intending to draw the reader's attention back to another usage of that tri-word phrase, It's actually at the very beginning of the Bible. If you had a Bible with you, you could flip to the very first page, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What John is telling us in the story of Jesus is that Jesus has another story to tell us in the creation Now, I don't want to retell the creation story for us. What I hope to do today is to to give us pause to consider um, and that we might listen to the story that creation is telling us. Did you hear the subtle difference? I don't want to retell the creation story, but rather I want us to hear the story that creation is telling us. In the beginning, right? That's what he says And he wants us to understand that God existed, Jesus existed before he was born in the manger in Bethlehem. Um, I'm going to ask that we pause right here and pray. I never want to get too far before we really, I know we've already prayed, but it feels better for me if we just ask the Lord to come and be with us today and to open our eyes to see this. Is this okay? So would you bow your heads with me? 
Lord God, we thank you for everything that you do for us. We have um, already worshipped and lauded your son Jesus and everything there. But God, we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would open our eyes to see this truth, this reality, and what this might mean for us. God, we can have a different experience with you this Christmas season than we, we have ever had. Uh, we pray that you be with us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. So um, my... my uh, the point I'm trying to put before us is that creation is telling us a story. And I'm, not a, I'm not alone in thinking that to be true. In fact, if, if we look to the, the, the book of Psalms, it's basically in the middle of your Bible. I'll turn there. You can read the words on the screen. But we'll see these words um, from David, the psalmist, in Psalm 19, verse 1. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So just in that moment, we're seeing two words that are communicative, that the words are declare and proclaim, that the things that God has created is actually telling us something. There's a conversation, if you will, that creation wants to have with us. It appears to be a monologue at this point until we enter the conversation with it. But the idea is that these words are speaking to us, proclaiming, declaring things. Uh, There's a a famous preacher, E.F. Halleck was his name, and he said these words about this particular passage in Psalm 19. He said, God looks upon nature as a basis of language, and the heavenly objects are signs, and signs are vehicles of ideas. They say something to us. Creation tells us to think of God, and God would have us Contemplate nature or creation, but creation is not his only revelation, but it is a very great and it's a very beautiful one. Would you agree? Now, there are many other um, revelators of who God is. In fact, I'm holding probably the best one that you'll ever have, the Bible. Everybody owns a Bible, right? Okay, if you don't own one, we have free ones for you. So on your way out the door today, just there's a little welcome, you're new here thing. There's a bookshelf with Bibles there. You're not stealing, hear me. <laughs> just, go, just go grab one. Don't take one if you already have one but can't find it, but take one if you don't own one. But anyways, all that to say this is that the Bible is a great um, revelator or is a great way to learn about who God is. Would you agree with me there? Uh, Paul, the apostle, actually says that if you wanted to know the invisible God, if you wanted to know what he looks like, just look to his son Jesus. Jesus is also a revelator. But what we're talking about today is creation. Creation is telling us about who God is. In fact, we can learn a lot about the creator by looking at the things that were created by him. And that's the story that I want to enter into today. Now, Jesus, um, before you think that I've just jumped the ship here, if I slept outside too, too long last night and my, my brain has become frozen and I see everything as sort of a Disney Pixar animation movie where snowmen speak English, right? right? That's not really happened. I, I'm not alone in thinking that creation talks to us. Jesus actually uses language like this, and I'll share a backstory and tell you what it is. Uh, Jesus, in his, uh, the week before that he was crucified, he's going into Jerusalem. And a lot of people from the upper parts of Galilee had come with him. And they're all shouting praises to Jesus as he rides in in what we call the triumphal entry. Right? Going into Jerusalem. And they are saying, shouting amongst all the people, Hosanna, Hosanna. Right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're hailing King Jesus as he rides in on a donkey into Jerusalem. 
And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they're upset that these people would be hailing Jesus as king, hailing Jesus as Messiah. And they rebuke Jesus and tell him, tell your boys to shut up already. Jesus responds to the religious leaders in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, and says this, if I, t- I tell you this, if these people were silent, then the very stones would cry out. You might think I'm crazy, but Jesus seems to think that rocks talk too. And listen to the story Jesus is saying that they would speak, that they also would cry out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that they would also hail the king who has come, the prince of peace, who's coming to reestablish God's kingdom on the earth. And why does Jesus say this? Because there's this, this idea that when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, you know the story, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against God and a schism or a chasm was, was broke between God and humanity, it wasn't just between God and humanity. It wasn't just humanity that was cursed, but all of creation was cursed too. In fact, the Bible t- tells us that it is creation, all of creation, that groans to be broken out of the bondage of the, the fallen world, that even creation itself longs to be made new again. Jesus is saying, if my disciples stop shouting for me, then creation itself will begin to shout. There's a story to to be heard here from creation. There's, There's a way to understand who God is by looking at the things that he creates. And if creation is speaking to us, um, I want to just quickly answer two questions that pop into my mind if we're thinking about creation speaking to us. First is this, what is creation saying about God? If we can learn about God from creation, what is it telling us about him? To find out, let's turn to Psalm 33, verse 9. Psalm 33, verse 9. This is speaking of God in the creation account. It says, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. This is, again, speaking about God speaking in creation. And the thing that we learn from passages like this is that God is quite powerful in his ways. Now, I don't know about you. I sometimes spend my weekends building things, crafting things, hanging shelves for my wife, moving said shelves to another wall because she just changed her mind, (laughs) painting said wall because she changed her mind on that too. She's here in the room. I should be careful. But you know what I'm saying? I, I, I find my time uh, creating things. And, but I have, to, I have to sweat and labor and bemoan and grumble through all of that. But God doesn't. He, he doesn't have to break a sweat. He doesn't have to grab a tool. He, in fact, he speaks and things are made. Think of the power that that must take to build something with no help from anyone else and with nothing else. Like the theological idea here is ex nihilo, out of nothing. God creates out of nothing. He just says words and things create. He says words and and things stand. He tells the oceans where to stop. He tells the mountains where to grow. Are you hearing this? And all of that comes from this attribute of God called his power. We don't think of God as very powerful when we think of the traditional Christmas, do we? We think of Jesus, this little bitty figurine (laughs) in your nativity scene, 
who, who sits in this little manger. Can I share a quick story with you? I, I've shared this before. Maybe you've heard it before. But um, years ago, my wife and I moved into a larger home. We moved into a house up north. And um, we went from decorating our house with one Christmas tree to decorating our house with like seven, I think. I have no idea. It's like way too many Christmas trees. But we were into it, right? And then, um, but the hard part is, you know, come Christmas after it's over, it's taking all of those things down and packing them away. And it's a big process. I actually loathe it. And I made this rule a long time ago that if we leave anything out, after I've put everything into the basement, if anything is left out, it goes in the trash can. Okay? Now, think of that. When one day I was going through the house a couple weeks after Christmas, and I found a little figurine of baby Jesus. <laughs> and I thought to myself, can I throw this away right now? I don't know if that's allowed. <laughs> I don't know if I should. Again, God is powerful. And in this traditional mindset of the Christmas story, we just see him as an infant, one who has to nurse at his mother's breast, one who needs to be wrapped in clothes so that he doesn't become frostbit, one that has to be carried from place to place. It doesn't seem like a very powerful God. But John would tell us, before you think of the baby, think of the creator. Before you think of the child born, think of the one who created everything. And so we learn of God's great power in creation. We turn to Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12, and we learn another thing about God. Jeremiah 10, verse 12, it is said, It is he who made the earth by his power, right, which we just discussed, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he stretched out the heavens. In this little picture of creation speaking to us, we learn that God is, in fact, quite smart, <laughs> that he has great wisdom and understanding of all things. And sometimes you'll notice this. Like if you're one of those people like me who like to daydream and look at clouds or maybe go out in the summer night and look at stars and just let your mind just disappear into the vastness of how big everything is and how everything works together, how sailors for thousands of years have used stars to navigate the oceans and, and just how everything is put together so well. It speaks about God's wisdom and his understanding. I think my... my uh, Another great way to understand how um, smart God is when it comes to his creation is this. And I don't want to bore you. This, I really nerd out on some of this stuff. But how many people are amazed that when water freezes, it becomes less dense? <laughs> One person in a room. <laughs> All right, nerd, you and me, right? Here we go. No, I'm the same way. What this means is this. Is most, most liquids right, in our world, when they, when they freeze or become colder, they become more dense and they sink. But not water. Right? In God's infinite wisdom and his, his understanding of all things, when he made water, when it becomes frozen and it becomes less dense and it actually floats to the top. What does that mean to us? It doesn't mean anything to you unless you're a fish. Right? What if you lived in the water and it got cold every winter and, and, the, and the water become more dense and it would actually crush you to the bottom of the lake? You'd have no hope of survival. But God in his infinite wisdom makes water less dense when it freezes and it floats and all the fish are happy until you catch them on your hook. And you know what I'm saying. But think about how God has put everything together in his great wisdom. We could go on and on. I have a list more here. Maybe you're creating your own list. What are the things that you think about when you step out into creation and consider? Uh, every Sunday night in the wintertime, when I take my trash bin to the curb, 
because um, my daughters are teenagers and refuse to do it for me. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Every, when I walk out and the cold hits me, I am overcome by the vastness of space and the universe and how big God is and how small I am. Like creation speaks to us all the time. Which leads me to my second question. If the first question is, what is creation saying? And the second question I was trying to answer is, why did God create the things the way that he created them anyways? Why do sunsets look the way they do? Why, why do some trees not lose leaves or needles in the winter, but some do? Why, I mean, you know what I mean? All of these questions. Why are things built this way? And why did God create them in such a way? So look here in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 4, and we see a reason here. Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. And this will answer that question. Why did God do what he did? It says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, and this is David the psalmist writing this. When I look at the moon and the stars which you have set in place, I think this, he says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? When we look to the creation and how everything was ordered just perfectly, we begin to see God actually cares for us. That in everything that he's built and put into place, that he actually did so with us in mind. Did you see that? That God is, in fact, mindful of us in all of creation, in everything that he did. Why some berries turn red and others turn blue. Like it's built for us that we might enter into a conversation with him. Um, speaking of red berries, um, I, I've been on this idea that God is creator for, for many, many weeks now. And the other day I was going for a run through the west end of town. And I was right there by the Millican homestead. And there were some trees overgrowing the sidewalk. And, and, and the sidewalk was just littered with all of these red berries that had fallen out, right? What a treasure trove for squirrels or birds or something. But as I'm running through them, I'm squishing them, and every one of them is squirting blood out. It looked like a, a, a murder scene, <laughs> right? Every, every, everywhere I step, it's just squishing blood, blood, blood. And in the middle of that, my mind runs to the fact that Jesus Christ shed his blood for my sin. Okay, now you're going, Jeff, you've, you've come unhinged. <laughs> like, I don't know what you've been smoking, um, but seriously, you're seeing weird things. In the world. No, I just, listen, if our eyes are open to see the way God uses creation to speak to us, we can engage in this conversation. You've probably stepped on the same red berries that I've stepped on and maybe not have seen what I've seen. But once your eyes are open to see it, you'll never unsee it again. That there's so much that the world around us speaks to us of what God has done for us. And he's done so out of his great care for us. That's what David says. And that's the one that really gets me. God uses his cre creation to reveal himself and his love and deep care for us. That's why he did it the way that he did it. So that maybe one day you'll respond to it. I mean, how many times have you looked at a sunset or something and said, oh, my God. How many times have you been overcome by something so great and something so amazing? That's Jesus who we're talking about, just so you know. Jesus, as John would say, right, created all things. Nothing came into being that wasn't made by him. Jesus is telling us a story of himself long before he became a baby in a manger. 
long before the cross, and those things are important for us. Uh, my wife loves to bake. I don't know if she loves to. She knows I love to eat it, so she bakes <laughs> is what I've uh, come to believe. But she makes these um, cut-out sugar cookies. Anybody like iced cut-out sugar cookies, right? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> We're taking orders, Stacey. <laughs> $12 a dozen. Anyways, um, She'll, she'll work in the, in the kitchen at the island and she'll do all this work for hours and hours and hours making the dough and then picking the right cutout thing and rolling it just so ever gingerly and, and then baking them. And then when they're done, she takes them out early. How many people burn cookies too much? Not Stacy. She takes them out early. They're always good. And then she ices them. And she takes these, she makes her own icing, homemade icing, and she uh, flavors it with almond. Again, it, it's delicious. And she painstakingly goes through all the details. And I, I thought to myself, why, why go through all the work? I'll be honest with you. You can just give me the bowl of dough and I'm happy. Am, am I right? Just give me the dough. That's all I need. <laughs> right? You don't have to turn on the oven, no icing, nothing. I just need a spoon at this point. But she doesn't. She turns on the oven. She bakes. She frosts. She displays. She puts them out. And when I come home from wherever I've been, you know what I'm saying? It says something to me. I love you too, by the way. It says that she loves me. Or at least that she's been thinking of me. You see, you see what I'm saying? Now, this didn't make sense to me until a week ago. Um, some dear people that I love, love dearly, um, got sick with COVID. And they were laid up in bed. And um, my wife and I decided that we might make some food, some soups, and, and we would take to them. And um, I'm sitting in the kitchen, and for about an hour and a half, I'm chopping onions and celery and carrots, and I'm, I'm cutting chicken into perfect size pieces. Um, they're all the same size, just so you know. And this is more than just my OCD kicking in, but they cook even, and they're all this, right? And I'm doing all, I'm laboring into this because I love these people so much, and I want them to enjoy what I'm enjoying, all right? We make the soup, we deliver the soup. Hear me, not one person called me and says, Jeff, I love the way you diced these onions. <laughs> I love how you cut the chicken into little pieces. They, it didn't matter. My communication to them by laboring into all of those things was telling them, I'm thinking of you. Okay, you see what I'm saying? Utility would say, Jeff, just go get a food processor. And no shame if you have a food processor. There, you can still be saved is what I'm saying. No shame in that. Jesus still died for your sins too. There's something to be said by just taking a knife and thinking about the person and cutting through all the vegetables. And look, do you know what I'm saying? Is anyone else getting this? Yes. And, and there's something about that. And so when we pause to consider what God has done on our behalf so that you would enter into a dialogue with him, so that a sunset or a, a, a crushed red berry would, would cause you to pause and think about him, that, that something would just make you stop and consider you're tiny and he is not. You're weak and he is strong. You see what I'm saying? So this Christmas, I wanted to start there before we get to babies and mangers and Virgin Mary and wise men from the East and all of these things. Let's pause to consider that we worship Jesus, who is incredibly powerful, who's incredibly thoughtful and wise and intelligent, and who incredibly like, thinks of us in such a way that would make us blush some days. He is in love with us.
Would you agree? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Joey. I got a little heart warm right there. Um, so I'll, I'll finish with this last thought here. I want to go back to John chapter 1, the introduction to John's biography of Jesus. And he says here in verse 4 and 5 that it was in him Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the conclusion part of that intro for John's biography. That Jesus is the, the life of men, and he, or the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, driving home from um, who knows where, right? And you know how early, uh, dark it gets early now, or early it gets dark is what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Um, I'm driving home, and I'm noticing my neighbors had been busy decorating their homes for Christmas. How many people put Christmas lights up? Okay, overachievers, that's good, that's good. Um, here, here's what struck me in, in, in my drive home. This verse, that the light will shine and darkness won't overcome it. I, I wonder how many people think of this when they're hanging Christmas lights, that they're actually gospeling, that they're actually, actually preaching Jesus come unto the earth when they hang Christmas lights, when they put a wreath up and make it look beautiful above their garage, Brian, well done and you put lights on it, you're actually proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. You're proclaiming that light has come into the darkness and darkness will not overtake it. This Christmas season, as we decorate our homes and light up Christmas trees, we are, we are doing so out of the, uh, the, the, the makeup of us that says we are made in the image of our, our maker, our creator, and as he creates things to tell stories, so do you and I. We have the ability to tell people about Jesus in what we do. And this Christmas season, most of you, no shame, no shame, most of us, hang Christmas trees or lights, put lights on a house, put up the manger, and we don't even think about the story that it's telling. That our traditional calendar cycle just kicks in and we're doing things before even thinking about them. How many of you have a rule you can't decorate till after Thanksgiving? Right? And it's the Friday after Thanksgiving. You don't even wait around. It's, it's tree day or whatever you call it, some crazy day. And you go get your stuff. And that's, that's a tree. And I love that tradition. But what happens oftentimes in our traditions is we just lose the meaning behind a lot of this stuff. So my hope, my hope in week one of this series, before we get to a manger, before we get to wise men, is we look to the story that creation is telling us about who God is. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, I, I thank you for Christmas. I've never seen my house look more beautiful than during Christmas time when all the decorations come out and the lights, Lord. I just love that. And I, I don't think my neighbor, my neighborhood looks better. I don't think downtown looks better than, it, than when it does at Christmas, Lord. So I thank you for all of that. God, I'm just asking that we pause just for just long enough to consider that, that all of these decorations, all of the beauty that we're throwing around the room would just, 
remind us of you, God. Just remind us of you and how you created things, that you have great power, that your strength is beyond measure, that your intellect and wisdom is smart. God, if you, if you thought that something would be good for us, we can endure it, we can make our way through it, and you will be there with us. And I think of that in 2020, as difficult as it has been for us, Lord, but you can be with us in that. I thank you that, that you're mindful of us, even, God, times, at times when we don't, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't want you thinking about me, Lord, <laughs> because of the way I acted at the grocery store or how I responded to um, one of my family members, Lord, and, and frustration maybe. God, I don't want you to be mindful, but you are, Lord. Oh, God, if you could just peel back scales from our eyes, if you could just unstop our ears to hear the words of songs that we sing at Christmas time. That if, if, the, if the traditions could be just pulled back, Lord, layer upon layer to get to the real reason for the season, Jesus. God, would you be with us as we go back into a time of worship, Lord? Would you be with us as we leave even today and, and go into our week? Would you open our eyes to see you everywhere we look, Lord? And I pray that by the Holy Spirit's power that w- there will be people here in the room. They'll, they'll see God in, in a tree or whatever. They'll see God in the beauty of creation. And you'll, you'll begin the conversation with them, Lord. God, I thank you for everything you do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at renaissancedecatur.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.